Rev it up and welcome to Cars Yeah, show number 1080. If you get three out of 10 at bats, you get a hit, you're a star. This is Cars Yeah, where you'll enjoy interviews with inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Mark Green is here to provide you with a fuel injection of automotive inspiration. So get in, sit down, buckle up, and get ready for a wild ride here on Cars Yeah. Hello, automotive enthusiasts. I'm revved up and so excited to introduce today's very special guest, Jamie Kitman. Hey, Jamie, are you buckled up and ready for a fun ride? Oh, I am. All right. Jamie Kitman, a lawyer, is an award-winning journalist who writes about cars, the automobile industry for Automobile Magazine. By the way, I've been a subscriber for many, many years, for whom he has written a monthly column, Noise, Vibration, and Harshness, for over 25 years. The former U.S. editor of England's Car and Top Gear magazines, he's contributed to dozens of other publications, including the New York Times, Washington Post, L.A. Times, The Nation, GQ, Harper's Men's Journal, and Newsweek. His report on the secret history of lead, that's gasoline, for The Nation won the IRE Medal for Investigative Magazine Reporting, and his column for Automobile won the National Magazine Award for Commentary, That's the only time the Car Magazine or Car Magazine author has ever won an award for the August Editors Group who chooses winners. He's the owner of dozens of old cars. Jamie's particularly fond of Lotuses, Lancia, Rovers, MGs, Jaguars, Volvos, and Peugeots. But he also owns an interesting 68 International Travel All, I should say, a Saab and a Morris Minor pickup. Jamie recently set up a business that supplies cars, not just his own, but others, to movies and television programs that shoot in the New York area, working recently with director Steven Spielberg's acclaimed film, The Post. And for the past 30 years, Jamie has also served as president of the Hornblow Group USA, Inc., a full-service music management company. My goodness, you have been a busy guy. So, Jamie, I've told our listeners just a little bit about you. Would you take a moment and share a little more? about your very long and illustrious career and a very obvious passion for automobiles. Yeah, um, it's good to be here. Um, I always tell people that my personality development was arrested at the age of 12. I was into cars and music, and even though I grew up and went to college and studied history and worked at newspapers and went to law school, I ended up doing cars and music. Arrested at 12. I like that. Very nicely put. Well, as we continue on your journey, I always like to start with a success quote or a mantra. This is some kind of saying that's been instrumental in forming your life. It's a nice way to get the inspirational tires turning here on Cars, yeah? So, Jamie, take the wheel. That's a really good question. The thing that that always strikes me about life is uh, I'm a baseball fan, too. And in baseball, if you get three out of ten at-bats, you get a hit, you're a star. The interrelation between success and failure, the inevitability of certain amounts of failure, significant amounts of failure, it really makes me realize that, you know, you have to appreciate that, that you're not going to succeed all the time. And also that you have to, you have to keep going forward because it'll, your life will change. So I guess uh, being a writer, a freelance writer, it was useful, especially when I was young, but always to be resilient and to know that, you know, you got to, got to take your cuts if you're going to get any hits at all. Oh, yeah. Reminds me of that quote by Wayne Gretzky that says, uh, you miss every shot you don't take. Uh, you know, 
Yeah, I got to take a swing at bat, that's for sure. It sounds hokey, but it's it's really true. Let's go back in time a little bit and talk about a story that instigated your personal passion for cars. Is there a pivotal moment in your life when you knew you were a car guy? I was so young that I, I don't even remember it, but it, it was like I was a, an idiot savant or something like that. By the age of three, I know I was being called out at family occasions at weddings and bar mitzvahs uh, into the streets of uh, Brooklyn, where my uh, where I guess I, well, I was born there. And I guess we had just moved away from there. But I remember my cousins going, hey, kid, what's that? And I'd go, you know, 1955 DeSoto Fire Dome, you know, or whatever. <laughs> and um, yeah. people go, he's right. It's incredible. So uh, I just liked him a lot. And my parents, of course, brought me home from the hospital when I was born. Uh, in their then new MGA sports car, and oh, I'm wow. really fixated on on those. I I own an MGA to this day, and have I'm now 60, but I've owned one since I was 14 for all but like two years of my life. I've had an, oh my MGA gosh for the other, yeah. So I'm oh my uh, gosh. but uh, <laughs> that was formative. I suspect it's, it, that was that car, which I only owned for a couple of years, still had like a great romantic. Uh, power in my life because when I was a kid, I would hear how my parents saved up all their money working for several years and then went to Europe on a ocean liner and bought an MGA in Paris and spent six months driving around Europe in it, you know, loaded to the gunwales with their stuff. And that just, that really set my idea of automotive romance up. But then by funny coincidence, we moved from Brooklyn and wound up in the sleepy hamlet of Leonia, New Jersey, which is a town of about 6,000 people, but it's it's about two miles from the George Washington Bridge. So it's right near New York City, but it's it's a tiny little town. And it became the headquarters for BMC, which was the British Motor Corporation, later known as British Leyland. So when I was a kid in grade school and high school, I, I would see people driving around in MGs and Triumphs. And I thought that was normal, like that, you know, everybody had a <laughs> An MG yeah. 1100 or is driving around in a TR7. That also, within the car genre, those things warped me into being a British car fan. Well, you and I share something then, Jamie, because the first sports car I ever rode in, I was eight months old, was an MGA with uh, sitting on my mom's lap and my dad driving. Yeah. And uh, he was going to buy that car, but instead he ended up buying a 49 MGTC. Uh, to make things wow. more challenging, I guess, in his life. And wow. he just had to work every day for several years. So, uh, wow. yeah, our, our, both you and my British roots go way back because we're uh, oh, the wow. same age as well. So, yeah, yeah very, yeah. very cool. Wow. Well, let's take a look at some of the roads you've driven down and talk about a big challenge or a big failure you faced. And I like this question because it teaches people how to overcome things, but more importantly, learn things from these situations. So walk us through one of yours that was real challenging and, and tell us how that experience helped you gain even more momentum as you move forward in your career. Well, it sounds morbid to say so, but the thing that did that for me was also involved in MG. But uh, in 1982, when I was 24 and employed as the press secretary to the president of the New Jersey State Senate, I was headed back to Brooklyn where I had been living prior to going to work in Trenton to visit my old house that I shared with a bunch of friends and driving my MGB, which I had bought in California and brought back a a, uh, 67 MGB over the George Washington Bridge at night when I pulled out to pass a tractor trailer 
and I drove into the back of a Chrysler that had stalled out seven oh, people no. in it oh. in the in the passing lane. Um, and oh. um, it was a terrible accident, except the good news was nobody was killed. And in fact, nobody was particularly hurt except me, who's uh, I had installed personally three point safety belts in it two weeks prior. And uh, so those saved my life. However, the aftermarket steering wheel, which I had been planning to replace because I thought it was ugly uh, on the car, my head struck that and I I really pulverized my face. But so that was the big injury. And I went to the hospital and uh, was on the table for 16 hours getting put back together. Oh my uh, it gosh! A, it was it was a miracle. I never lost my eyesight. Uh, yeah, I had no real brain injuries. All my teeth were knocked out. My jaws were broken. My oh my gosh. Eye sockets oh. were shattered. My nose was pulverized. But anyway, that's about as bad as the story gets because um, I had a tracheotomy on the way to the hospital on the George Washington Bridge. After that, basically, I make a miracle recovery. They told me I could be in the hospital for months, and I got out in 16 days. Um, I was back at work in a month. They were kind enough to hold my job open for me. And um, when it was all over, surgeons who were both these these very talented but arrogant young men, and uh, they had been they had I guess they had worked in Vietnam because they they were saying like without the Vietnam. Well, that maybe they hadn't. They were just saying that without the Vietnam War, I would have died because they had utilized techniques that they had. Oh, uh, yeah. Save guys. Put yeah. people back together. Yeah. I mean, which, with every war, that's one of the things that gets better. Uh, but in any case, when they removed all the bandages from my face on the after as I was leaving the hospital, they were kind of high-fiving each other and going, this is wow. great. This is great. And then finally, they're taking the splint off my nose and they get, and their faces fall and they're like, Oh, God. Um, you know, um, the good thing is, is with this uh, no-fault insurance and here, you can come back and we'll take care of that uh, yeah. anytime, you know. Uh, I was like, oh, no. And then I, I, I say, well, let me look at the mirror. They hand me a mirror, and I was like, I hate to disappoint you, but that that was my nose. You know, oh, gosh. <laughs> way, <laughs> that is the way it looks. So Yeah, that's anyway, just me, fellas. What, <laughs> to, to finish your uh, question, what, what did I... Hey, from that, it had a weir- really weird effect on my life, is, you know, which was, it was, I had to have a bone graft and put my jaw a year later. It was incredibly painful, all of that stuff. But it had the effect, strangely, making me much more cheerful as a person and much more serious as a student. I went to law mm-hmm. school right after that. They had said in, in March when this happened that I wouldn't probably be able to go in September, but I did. And I was fine. And, uh, it made, so it made me think like, you know, both that, um, you know, like I'm a really lucky guy, but, you know, that, that like your time is finite and you better, you know, get yep. it done while you can, you know, because so you never yeah. know what's going to happen. I, I actually think it was it was character building in a, in a weird way. And I certainly got more serious about a lot of things. And uh, but but at the same time, I lost the fear of of things that. Maybe people who haven't come so close to dying have that they, uh, you know, they do. So certainly professionally, everything I've done is fairly risky in, in the sense that they're, they're not stable. I mean, you know, time has sort of borne it out that like get a job at a corporation today. It's, it's really no guarantee of uh, 
a lifetime of security. But uh, being being a freelance writer and managing alternative rock bands isn't either. (laughs) No, absolutely. Well, it's an amazing story. We're so glad you survived that. And heaven heaven forbid if you'd not put that three-point seatbelt in, kudos to you for having the brains to do that and the smartness to do that. But uh, wow, what a story. Wow, that's amazing. Well, let's talk about one of the many, and I assume you've had many aha career moments because you've done so many interesting things in your career over time from law, cars, to managing music. I mean, all the different things you do that perhaps that accident pushed you along to say, give it a try. Why not? So take us through one of those career aha moments that stands out for you. Yeah, I mean, I have another thing that relates very specifically to becoming a car writer that is about just doing it. When I, I had sort of realized, you know, while I was probably in high school still, that I would like to, that working at a car magazine would be really cool. And I, I remember uh, starting to write stuff, wrote columns for my college newspaper about cars, which was, my college was in New York City, so almost nobody cared to see a car column. Or that was sort of the assumption, but they let me do it anyway, and I would write an occasional column about it. And I think it was the, the the first time in the newspaper's you know hundred year history, and probably the last that somebody did that. I kind of had it in mind that like you know that would be a cool thing to do. And when I bought that MGB, which I later crashed, I drove drove it across country. I bought it in California, where there's no rust, and was bringing it back to New York, where there was lots of rust. And um, uh, I stopped in Ann Arbor because I had sent some stuff I had written for the school newspaper to Car and Driver. And they said, come and see us, you know, like, we'd like to talk to you. Maybe you can write. And uh, so I was ecstatic. And I went to Ann Arbor and stayed with a friend who lived there. And I went for an interview with them. And they were like, well, we like this, but but basically we think you don't like cars enough. You're writing about things like pollution, how they pollute and how they aren't safe and things like that. And I was like, well, you know, that's not, I think you can do all those things. You can like cars. But at that point, being for clean air and auto safety was sort of put you on the lunatic fringe of, uh, of, car, of car enthusiasts. So in any case, I went away and they were sort of like, well, you know, pitch us something or write something and, you know, send it in. And I was dejected and I was so dejected, I did nothing about it. And then it was the previous summer. I was really into car magazine in England, uh, which was a great English car magazine and still is. I had written a like a longhand, I remember on Yellow Fool's Cap, nine-page letter to them, you know, basically saying you should give me a job writing for you. I never sent it. And so, and then I never sent that. And then I went to see Car and Driver and I felt ejected and I never wrote them again. Then, you know, many years later, I screwed up my nerve again and started sending things places. I, I got really lucky, you know, so I was hired, but First, my auto week to write a couple of things and then automobile. And then from that, that led to a column in car and, uh, which led to column in automobile. And, uh, I really, you know, uh, I really felt like, you know, kind of my dream had come true. And had I not tried, if had I done what I originally did, which was to sort of run away or not fully try or not try harder, it wouldn't have happened. And so. I'm grateful for that, and I feel like it was it was a, a, a big revelation that's been borne out in other areas of my life since. And, you know, you never know unless you try. Give it a shot. Give it a try. Don't pass up an opportunity, even if the doorway looks a little bleak or 
It's a sliver of light coming through that doorway. They they opened it. So stick your foot in there. Great story. I'm all for being a realist, but if you're not fit to be writing about cars, you'll find out fast enough. So <laughs> Yes, absolutely. Well, let's have a little bit of fun. You have a lot of cool cars. You've had a lot of cool cars. You've even crashed a cool car. So let's talk about your first really special car, that first car that you got that had great meaning for you. What was it? And tell me a little story about it. Based on what I'm telling you, it won't surprise you to know that it was an MGA. Um, okay. <laughs> and it was the first car, the very first car I got when I was 14 was an MGA, which I chipped in on. We, four, uh, me and three other guys, one of them had found it, uh, bought a, like a 58 MGA that had been in a fire and we bought it for $50. So we each put up $12.50 and we were, <laughs> we were rebuilding it. Um, under the direction of the one of us who had any idea of what he was doing. He was very, you know, future engineer type, very meticulous. But we, you know, we cleaned it up, the chassis, and it was about to turn over. We had removed the body, which was very um, bold. But uh, when somebody basically offered us to cut the car into pieces, which I'm ashamed to admit now, but at that point, you know, we were turning our, what had probably swelled to a $25 investment into a $50 payout. And we were all like, great, great. We're smart yeah. guys. <laughs> and, and in fact, that was the last time I made money on a car for a long time to follow. Because oh, um, I had I had an, an, another MGA then, which was really my first car that ran. And I bought it before I even had a driver's license. So I had it registered and insured in my dad's name, but basically I could get some friends to drive me around in it legally, or I'd have to sort of sneak a little bit here and there. And and that was really, uh, I guess, I don't know, that, that that's really imprinted on me. So I've had other cars that I love and that are dynamically obviously better and better in a million ways, but I, I still have a, a soft spot for MGAs. They seem like, at a certain age, they seem like, everything you could want in the car, you know, all in one place, even though they didn't have roll-up windows. Yeah, so pretty rudimentary. Well, how about a car you've let go? I would assume perhaps you've sold a few cars in your day. Is there one in particular that you really wish you had back? Oh, yeah. Well, I I had an Elantia Aurelia briefly. I actually owned it for like six or seven years. And there was a moment in the early 2000s where you couldn't, you know, they weren't worth any money, really. I mean, not to speak of. There was a guy, I still wanted one. I thought, I always thought they were beautiful. And uh, this guy who, who owned one, you know, I, I would see him at car shows. And he was a nice guy. He was uh, somebody who knew me from my magazine work. He was, a, he was actually a owned new car dealerships. He, at one point, you know, I kept asking him, you want to sell it? You want to sell it? And he said, no, no, no. And then he goes, what, why don't you just borrow it and, you know, see how you like it and keep it for, you know, a couple of months. And I was like, sure, you know. And uh, so he left it to me. And then one day he called up and said, I want to sell it. This is what I want. Do you want to buy it? And I was like, okay. And I took a car loan. And then several years passed. I spent, you know, some money fixing it, but it was it was pretty reliable. I had a kind of a cash crunch and I had to sell it. And a guy came, basically offered me like what triple what I had paid for it. And I was like, oh God, I got to take it. I was really sad. And he insisted he was going to keep it himself, and then he flipped it a week later for a $10,000 profit, and then it got flipped uh, six months later at Scottsdale for an extra $82,000. So Holy cow. Was, wow. I, yeah. I, I, I was sad, but... Um, that's the way it goes years. sometimes. Yeah. yeah well, sometimes. Now, 
Was that the, uh, did you have the Gia uh, design coupe or the Pininfarina convertible? I had, no, I had the, I think it was a Pininfarina coupe. That's what I thought it was who designed the coupe. Oh, what? Um, oh, okay. Well, you could be right. Yeah. yeah I, I was, for some I reason, I thought wrong. Pininfarina I did the, uh, did the convertibles only, but I, I could be wrong too. But, uh, one of the listeners out there will let me know, I'm sure. Yeah. The, the convertibles were distinctly more valuable, or at least they were. I've had to stop even following the market because I'll never own one again. It's sad. Well, I've got a few of those in my life, as does uh, 1,079 people before you, Jamie, so don't worry. Oh, yeah. Uh, we, we all have those stories. Well, what are you working on today that has you excited and fired up? I, I, have, I have like 20-something cars, and they're always, you know, something's always needs to get fixed. So, of course. Uh, the stuff of course. I've been fixing lately are... I have a, a Peugeot 205 GTI that I brought from Italy, which I love. That it needs a new speedometer cable or a speedometer head or something that's off being fixed now. I have a Lancia Flavia, which I was given free uh, many, many years ago. I, I want to start restoring it, but first I have to finish with the 1970 XJ6 Jaguar I bought. Um, oh, gosh. Is, is being recommissioned. So yeah, I, I'm like I say, I'm, as time goes on, I I want to. I would like to simplify my life. There's so many cars. It's just it's such a chore. But uh, yeah, well, uh, a couple of those you've listed are uh, maintenance heavy type cars. Of course, the old <laughs> Italian cars and the German cars. So. You put a little yeah. bit of burden on yourself, but some very interesting and fun cars. Well, here's a very introspective question for you, Jamie. If you were a car, if you were a vehicle, what would Jamie be and why? Uh, you know, that's a good question. Um, I, I, I should have I uh, thought about an answer to that. I would say I would be, I would be content to be, I don't know if it's fully accurate, but I would content to be an MGA, you know. Like, yeah, you know, <laughs> yes. back to your, your roots. Ba- it's ba- your basic stuff pretty well. And, you know, kind of like good value fun for the, you know, for a, a minimal investment. That makes sense. Given your history. Well, Jamie, up next is the last lap. But before we put the pedal to the metal, let's say thank you to today's Cars Yeah sponsors. Do you know the best way to protect your vehicle, both the exterior and the interior? is with a car cover. I've been using Covercraft car covers since 1975. That's right, 1975. It's a fast, easy, and inexpensive way to keep your vehicle looking new. Covercraft has been manufacturing premium quality exterior and interior covers for over 50 years with a stellar reputation for durability and design. They're the world's largest manufacturer of custom-patterned vehicle covers that are crafted to fit over 80,000 patterns and growing. They are the only cover I'll put on my vehicles. You can choose from a wide variety of fabrics, styles, colors, and more. From full cover designs for factory to custom-made vehicles, plus convertible top covers, trucks, truck cab coolers, motorcycles, scooters, ATVs, trailers, campers, personal watercraft, and a wide variety of custom features. Covercraft is the right choice. Learn more today at Covercraft.com and tell them Mark sent you. That's Covercraft.com. Hey, Cars Yow listeners, are you an online seller looking to increase your sales? Over the past five years, more than 50,000 sellers voted Bonanza the most recommended marketplace over eBay, Amazon, and Etsy. Why do sellers love Bonanza? Bonanza listens to seller feedback and uses it to improve tools and build new features. So there are tons of customization options 
for sellers, no matter what the size of your business. There's no listing fees or monthly fees. You pay only when you make the sale. Increase your online sales today by going to bonanza.com slash cars. Yeah, getting started is easy with the ability to import your items from any other marketplace like Amazon, eBay, Etsy's, or Shopify. Bonanza is offering a booth setup consultation to fans of its podcast. Sign up using the link bonanza.com slash cars. Yeah, to receive this exclusive offer. That's bonanza.com slash cars. Yeah. All right, Jamie, we're back and we're entering the last lap. This is where I'm going to fire off a series of questions and ask you to give our listeners some very quick lips of the throttle answers. So here we go. Well, what's the best automotive advice you've ever received? Well, certainly when it comes to restorations, that whatever you think it's going to cost, it's going to cost triple that. That's pretty, <laughs> yeah. pretty, pretty accurate. But other than that, it's really a driving tip, which is to look is look as far down the road or through the corner as you can. Oh yeah, um, absolutely. That was, that was uh, I was once in a car with the racer, uh, uh, relatedly with the racer uh, Parnelli Jones. We were going on the li- launch of the last Lincoln Town Car in like 1999 or something, and going to Bridgehampton Racetrack out in Long Island, where which was closed and is now a golf course, but it was one of the great 1950s sports car racing tracks. And we sat in traffic for about an hour and a half, and then we were finally on the road. And he was just starting to just tell me random stuff. And uh, he gave me what he called a drunk driving tip, which was to is to really look far down the road and, and <laughs> yes. not. And unlike the average drunk who was like looking over his shoulder at the yellow line to make sure he doesn't weave, but and in so doing weaves. If you look far down the road, you'll have a smoother line as well as be aware of things that you should be aware of, which is true even for the sober driver that uh, that I always am, um, that, you know, just you just got to look further than the end of your nose. Absolutely. Now, would you share one of your personal habits you believe has contributed to your many successes over the years? Oh, I, you know, I think you have to, at least when you're young and you're starting, that certainly, but really always working harder than the next guy is, is going to yield results. I can't think of anything but, but hard, working hard that yields a even even a you know good much less a top quality result. So you have to you oh, have yeah. to be prepared to work hard. And and relatedly, if you like what you do, it's not so hard to work hard. If you don't, <laughs> then you know it's if if you're in any position to change it, you ought to. The secret sauce to life, right there. How about a resource? There are so many awesome resources these days. Is there one in particular you're really fond of you'd share? Well, it would be glib to say something like the internet. I, I recommend the internet, folks. There's a lot of stuff <laughs> yeah. there. Uh, I always find that car clubs can be real resources, even though I'm, yes. not really a sh- I'm not a show-going guy and I have too many cars to keep any of them in you know, shiny enough shape to really show uh, on any kind of um, you know competitive basis. And I don't even really enjoy that that much. I, I love to stay in touch with people from car clubs who are in the hobby who know where parts are, how things work, are, ha- are yes. generous with their time. You know, like if you can't figure something out or you need help, they'll, they'll come help you. I, I just find that's great. I've had some really amazing experiences just uh, in buying cars that way and getting people to go check things out for me. And it's something, you you know, I think you really got to pay back, you know, when when somebody calls you up and asks you to do them a ridiculous favor, 
that's what you do. Uh, yep. so oh, I, I think they're great. I know when I picked up a Lotus Europa um, bonnet lid in Michigan for me. I'm sorry, in Chicago. He lives in Michigan, but he was in Chicago. He picked it up for me and brought it back to Michigan. And then it was something I needed. And then he wanted me to go to Connecticut and look at a bug eye sprite for him. And I like I didn't hesitate. Of course, of course I'll go. And now, and you know, yeah, the clubs and forums are awesome, and uh, so many people do nice things for you. I've done the same for people; they've done that for me. It's it's really a great way to learn about cars and uh, get some help when you need it. Well, if I could wave a magic wand and arrange for you to have a drink with anyone in the automotive field or industry, living or deceased, who would that person be? I'm writing a story about him right now, so I, I would like to talk to Colin Chapman. I think uh, mm. from Lotus. I think I would mm-hmm. be interested in that. There's there's a lot of people that I would talk to. I'm fascinated by people who who made cars before there were computers. Clearly, there's geniuses working today, but uh, and computers have been a great boon. But when you think about people like like the people who designed an MGA or an MGB using you know a slide rule, whatever the technology they had, then they're so you know they're kind of so perfectly realized. Or, or old launches or so many so many things. They're just you know they they. They really sweat the details so much. And we think today, oh, cars are so much better. But there were things about them that used to be better. And they, how they did it was, was so much more, um, I don't know, there's just a personal dimension to it and, a, and an artistic dimension to it that I, I think is a little bit lost in the age of you know, zeros and ones. Yes. Yeah. Colin Chapman, first, first vintage race car ever raced was a Lotus 18. Formula Junior, and uh, there's a few things I'd like to ask. I'd like to ask him about that car as well. Yeah. But it was great. It was great. It was great fun. That's for sure. How about a book? Is there a book that you've read that you'd like to share with our listeners? Only because I've read it most recently, and because it's really great. Luca Del Monte's book about Enzo Ferrari, the title of which I can retain because it's right by my desk. Uh, it's uh, from Tears in Turin to Triumph in Marinello. And it's by Luca Del Monte, sold Enzo Ferrari, from Tears and Turin to Drive from Marinello, out uh, with David Bull Publishers. Yes, David Bull was a very, very early guest here on the show, a longtime friend of mine, publishes some of the finest automotive books he, out there. Yeah. So I'm glad, glad you mentioned that book. book. Oh, yeah. yeah uh, if you want to check it out, I wrote a review for the New York Times about it, uh, which you can see. Uh, awesome. And a feature about Luca and automobile so. But, but Very nice. Be, yeah. yeah, well, listeners, you can find links to all these great resources Jamie has shared on his Cars Yeah show notes page. Just go to CarsYeah.com, type in Jamie Kitman, and his page will pop right up. All right, Jamie, we're up to the checkered flag. And this last question, well, for a guy like you with as many cars as you have, this can be a bit of a doozy. Today, I'm going to buy you any cool collector car on the planet, but here are the rules. You can only have that one car. you got to get rid of all your other collector cars. But money's no object. I'm buying today. But you have to drive this car. You can't sell it to buy all your old cars back or even more. So what's it going to be? That's, uh, you know, I, I feel like I'm, I'm one of those people who, if that were to happen, that, that, would, uh, that would be a bad thing, not a good thing. Um, <laughs> just because uh, I, I, I really like the diversity of cars that I have. But, uh, I mean, let's just say I was, I was throwing a caution to the wind again. Um, I, would, I would settle for... One of really one of old two, two uh, launches, and they'd be absurd for 
well, the first one would be particularly uh, absurd, which is a launch of Lambda from the 1920s, which would be, uh, well, I, I'd certainly be the only one on my block using that as a as a daily driver in your <laughs> in your uh, theoretical, um, or a uh, or or I'd get in Aurelia again, I think, and I would just take care of that instead of all the other crappy cars I have. Well, you got to narrow it down to one today, just today. Mm-hmm. Which one would which one would it be, the Aurelia <laughs> or the Lambda? Yeah, I think today I'd take the Aurelia. Yeah, I kind of thought <laughs> you'd say that. Well, beautiful car. Well, you did say earlier you needed to start kind of simplifying your life, so. I massively simplified your life. I just changed it, changed it all together. You don't need that big garage anymore. Just one beautiful car. I think you could be happy with that one, Aurelia, for sure. Yeah, very nice. Well, Jamie, you've taken me on a great ride today. I've really enjoyed you calling in and I want to thank you for sharing your journey. Would you give us one parting piece of wisdom or guidance before you drive off into the sunset in that Lancia Aurelia? <laughs> I kind of look at, at old, at old cars as being kind of a, a mediocre savings account. You know, you, maybe you lose 2% a year, maybe 5%, maybe you're up 3%. Compared to some of the other ways that you could spend your money, you know, expensive dinners for two, vacations, which, you know, you're only left for memories. Uh, and old car seems, you know, like not the worst way to, to um, spend your money. I've tried to convince my wife of that for 35 years now. Um, she's, she's kind of bought into some of it, but uh, maybe not yeah. all of it. But uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, nice words of advice. Yeah. What's yeah. the best way for our listeners to learn more about you and your career? Well, I think uh, you can find me on Facebook and Twitter, Instagram, and you can check out the website of our picture car company, which is called Octane Film Cars at www www.octanefilmcars.com. That's Octane, O-C-T-A-N-E. Or uh, you can read a lot of my stuff at Automobile Magazine's website, which is www.automobilemag.com. And, you uh, you know, yeah, drop me a note. There you go. Well, listeners, you can find all these links that Jamie shared on his show notes page on the Cars Yeah website. Just go there, type in Jamie Kitman. Check out what Jamie's up to. Of course, if you don't subscribe to Automobile, you should. I've been a subscriber forever. Uh, the other magazines that he mentioned, great magazines from uh, across the pond as well. Jamie, thanks for being so generous today with your time, your expertise, and for sharing your experiences with me and the Cars Yeah listeners. Until you and I talk again, I'll see you down the road. So long. Thank you. What's every automotive enthusiast dream? to design and build that perfect garage. My friends at Metron Garage are a group of creative talents who've combined their passion for cars with their careers in architecture. Their service includes unique garage design and state-of-the-art fabrication. They will create the coolest custom garage for you and your vehicles. Metron Garage's system features fully engineered commercial-grade material and structural framing that's stronger than traditional construction. Their designs are pre-engineered to meet your building codes for fast, bolt-together construction. With over 25 years of experience, you'll see a 3D rendering to visualize your custom garage, and the final structure will fulfill all your storage needs. Contact Metron Garage today and begin realizing your dream garage. Go to metrongarage.com. That's metrongarage.com. Garage is built for discerning enthusiasts.
where it's not just a garage, it's where your dream garage comes true. You take care of your cars, but who takes care of your investments? Tune-ups aren't just for engines. Updating your financial plan is important, too. Your GPS may take you from A to B, but it won't help you on the road to financial freedom. For that, you need a good co-pilot and a very trusted advisor. Chris Kimball, CFP, is just the man for the job. He'll guide you down that road without driving you crazy. For over 25 years, Chris has helped people just like you and me with their financial planning and investments. With a master's degree in financial services, he is eminently qualified, and he's a car guy too. Learn more at chrisvkimball.com or call 866-ON-A-PLAN. Securities through Money Concepts Capital Corp. Member FINRA SIPC. CK Financial Services is not affiliated with Money Concepts Capital Corp. Thank you so much for joining us on today's ride here at Cars Yeah. Drive on over to CarsYeah.com to find show notes and inspiring automotive fun. Download your free copy of Filler Up, a fun book filled with gorgeous photographs of fuel filler fun, including quotes from more inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Download your copy today, and we'll see you next time on Cars Yeah.